Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. Let's face it. We've all been there before. Too many drinks on Christmas or too many drinks on New Year's, leaving us feeling like rubbish the day after. While today's guest, Kirsten Chalmers from Point Zero Sellers, is offering all of our listeners a 10% discount for her non-alcoholic beverages to get you through unscathed during Christmas and New Year's. All of the details will be in the show notes to get that offer. So please head over to Point Zero Sellers and get 10% off. Hope you enjoy the show. See you soon. So hello, everyone. Thanks for joining us for episode 16. From psychologist working with children, adolescents, and their families to owner of Point Zero Sellers, mother of two, game changer for many, today's guest is Kirsten Chalmers. She brings to us a conversation about many things from development of our next generation and why we do things, and importantly this time of year, why drinking over the holidays should be about joy, not just drowning out what a stressful 2021 has been. So with that, let's get to the show. Hello, Kirsten. Hello, Kirsten. Hello, Sean. Good to see Hi, you Luke. both. Hi, Sean. Thank let's, you for having me. Absolute pleasure. Let's uh, let's dive right in. Let's go. Sean. Yeah. So, I mean, really looking to, forward to today's conversation. And, you know, before we get too serious, uh, I'd love to hear from you. Seeing we, we are in December and we're going to be talking about, you know, some, some careful do nots. But, you know, aside from any past negatives, what is your favorite thing about the holidays? What do you love about December that you're excited about this year? We just have an annual tradition of going down to the coast. I just love to get away and I just love the sea. So we've been doing this for the last 11 years. My kids are 13 and 16 and it's in Port Ferry. It's a local little town and they call it the fairy house because that's what they understood when they were little. So we'll be heading down to the fairy house. It's a really small town. There's not much going on, but the kids can bicycle around and yeah, just run off to the beach and uh, we take the dogs. So it's just it's just an awesome getaway. And I always look forward to it. It never gets old. I can understand why the kids would call that fairy town, though, because it does sound pretty surreal. I- I'd enjoy I think I'd enjoy it. It sounds fun. Yeah, they have a folk festival. It's that kind of folky type sort of vibe, if you can okay. imagine that. So not, yeah. not over Christmas. The folk festival is actually later. Unfortunately, we never get to see it because the kids are back at school. But it's just got that sort of... Yeah, small time town vibe, which I really love. Fantastic. Oh, Fantastic. Beautiful. beautiful. I, I can't remember. I think we might have gone there many years ago. Is there a fish and chip shop down on the wharfs? Does that make Correct. sense? At Correct. All? Yeah. Okay, yeah. 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 Now you got to go. It's just past Warnable, I think. Yeah. 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 We, mm. I went there many years ago. I think might have been before I was married to my to, to Julie. I was going to say my current wife, but my only wife. Um, <laughs> So, I was going to say, is there something I don't know? No, is, there, is, there, is there part of the story I don't know? No, well, this may be part of the story. I don't know. But no, I remember going there now. Beautiful place. I remember that. Mm. But anyway, um, so Kirsten, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, yeah, go back a few years before we get to what's happening 
today if you can if you can just tell us i'm getting old luke i can go back many years but i'll try and cut it short <laughs> uh you might notice an accent i'm from south africa originally yeah. um so i um yeah i guess i'm sort of got one foot in australia one foot in south africa in the sense that um, my background is there we came over my husband and i together 22 years ago now, um, loved it straight away, um, never thought to go back and have since imported my brother and my mother. So we've decided this is definitely home. Um, I studied psychology back there in South Africa, took a bit of a break from psychology and um, went into the corporate world. I just think at sort of 20, what was it, 21, uh, I wasn't ready. I, I would definitely not have been ready for um, private practice. So what do you do with a psychology degree, HR, something like that? <laughs> so, yeah, did that, worked for a couple of large corporates. Um, and when it came to come here, uh, I just joined the same same companies, Deloitte's and then Accenture. And um, my husband started his first business when we moved. So I was managing, I guess, the finances until that came up and running. And um, then it was my turn to take a break from it all. And uh, when I decided to have kids, I decided it was enough with the corporate world and time to study, go back to my love, which is psychology. So I did my master's in um, Eden Dev Psych at Melbourne Uni. Mm. Uh, I decided to go full time. I'm one of those people that... I just, yeah, part-time felt not enough. I really wanted to immerse myself in it. So I was a student again, which was cool, uh, with a big belly with two two pregnancies. And um, it was fun. It was awesome. I could hand over the kids to Andrew, my husband, and say, sorry, got to go to class. And it was just brilliant. I think I actually recommend it to anyone who's going through that. Anyway, um, did Aiden Dev Psych because of my kids. So it meant I could work at schools if I wanted to. Um, but then, I don't know, I didn't go straight into schools. I actually went straight into private practice. I actually found, um, because I'd been in business before, I found it pretty easy to just, I guess, start my own thing. And my husband, having started his own thing, was happy to encourage that. And yeah, so I did that for 10, 12 years. And then now we are we are now. I yeah, just decided uh, COVID hit. Didn't love telehealth, to be really honest. Uh, certainly not working with kids. I had a little therapy dog and that was really hard to manage nugget <laughs> over the internet. Um, couldn't keep kids focused. So I tried PowerPoint presentations. I tried it all. And um, yeah, decided it was time for something new again. So hence, we're now doing my third business, I guess, is Point Zero Sellers. Before we get into... A little bit around the the psychologist part. Mm. South Africa, you know, twenty odd years ago. What are your memories of of that? Mm. No, I've ne- I've never been. I'd, I'd, at some stage or another, I'd love to get over there. But what are some of the memories? Mixed, I guess. I was mm. blissfully unaware of the apartheid mm. era when I was living it. I knew I had a maid who lived on our premises who. Um, kind of was part of the family. So I never really felt for me that there was this separate, I didn't even know there was a curfew that she had to be off the streets because she'd be in my house. So it wasn't like, Mm. um, you know, she was banned from anything, not from me anyway. I mean, I used to play with her daughter in the the swimming pool. So it's kind of the surreal thing that all this stuff was happening in the background that I then got to learn, obviously, at uni. That's where you learn all this stuff, don't you? And um, I was like, wow, this is all happening. And, um, 
Yeah, it was, it, for me, it was lovely. I, you know, it's very similar to South Africa in many ways. You, you know, barbecues. We, my family was sort of the entertaining household. Uh, drinks are plenty, people are plenty. Um, I actually don't remember a single weekend where we didn't have people around. It was just like the house to come to. Sometimes drove me crazy because I actually like to withdraw from that. But um, yeah, just I had a, you know, crazy cool childhood, I think. I, you know, I was drinking at 15. I was, I had a boyfriend at 16. I went to uni. Honestly, a good life. But I guess when you get older and you see the problems, and of course the problems did happen politically, um, when I met my husband, we probably thought we'd all, we both travelled. So my family's originally from Germany and his family's from the UK. Um, so we'd both been out of the country and um, we just didn't feel that we wanted to raise our own kids in South Africa. We just thought that the time for the country to change and to heal would pretty much take our lifetime um, and so having, I had family, I had an uncle here. So yeah, we just decided to look abroad. And um, if we were going to have kids, which we weren't sure about at the time, we would have them elsewhere. Gotcha. gotcha. Thank you. Thank you for that. Um, I, know, I know it's not the main priority now in regards to psychologists or being a psychologist, but focused on assessing development, learning and behavior on social difficulties in kids like if ever there's a time where all of this mm. sounds like it's it's really prevalent, tell us more about you know what a day or a week would look like in that situation, what you were really trying mm. to do, some of the challenges that were thrown your way. Well, look, I have to say psychology will always be part of me. I think I'll probably go back to it. It's almost like I feel like I'm taking a break, but I just couldn't let go of that registration. I just couldn't do it. <laughs> so I continue to do PD and keep up to date. Um, typical days, so I would work part-time. I did a combination of working in private practice and working at a couple of schools because the school part's fun. You get to hang with the teachers and it's kind of feels a little more casual. You know, you've got your room. My room often was next to the principal's office and I, I'd book out a room and I would see kids, you know, for the whole day, either uh, counselling or for assessments and, and that kind of thing. Um, so... Yeah, your typical days is, you know, what's wrong? What's wrong with the behavior of this child? Is it a learning difficulty? Is it a, a you know, where's this behavior coming from? Where's, where's their, you know, what are their strengths and, and what, what's going on for this kid? How can we support them, I guess? And, and obviously, um, that means doing IQ assessments. Uh, I had a huge interest in autism. So doing autism assessments, um, and I guess educating teachers and parents on how to handle kids with differences, you know, ADHD kids are very different in the classroom to um, autistic kids. So, you know, if, you, if your kids on on any of those spectrums, you, you, you have to do things differently. And I think as a parent, and I, I loved that I was a parent at the same time. So I, I worked in primary school because my kids were in primary school. So the passion was there. I really wanted to learn you know, everything that was going on for them. Um, and yeah, you're just constantly learning as a parent. And so I loved that. And then private practice was just those kids or the parents that didn't want to be seen with a psychologist in the classroom. Um, you know, there's just, I guess there's, there was still some stigma around um, seeing a psychologist or having your child assessed. So a lot of people chose to do that privately. Um, and 
I guess also asking yourself whether you want to label your child. Um, teachers and schools are very keen for that because it means funding and it means um, help from their perspective. But I think as a parent, um, you know, you're giving a kid a title that they have to live with. And I was very careful about whether we wanted to, what was the point of labeling someone you know if it if it if it was going to be a benefit so if they were that bad in terms of low iq that they absolutely couldn't do any you know needed the help then good but if it was you know a touch of asperger's and maybe the kids a bit quirky and maybe a bit different do we want everyone to have that label do we want you know do we want that kid to live with i am so different so lots of conversations about humans and how we interact with each other and, and how labels and things make a difference. It is amazing how important labels are and how dangerous, dangerous Correct. they can be. Yeah. You know, like I, I'm, I'm an ADD, like ADHD child, right? So medicated from, wow. from high school on. So, you know, I told, I couldn't learn unless I took this, this magic yeah. substance. Right. So it's, uh, it, it, it it's it's really you know so it just makes me very careful now with any of the next generation or any kids when they talk about things they're interested in it's oh tell me more right yeah. and like how, how can i support grow that idea in you not you know plants a backup plan for you or you know ooh, that's going to be risky or you know take any thing away like only augment right because la yeah. labels language anything you plant a seed in a child's head it's, it's likely to stay there and it has a chance of growing i couldn't agree more i'm actually can i ask you a question uh, you know yes yeah um so i'm interested as a as a child who did take these medications how did you feel about that when you were old enough to know what 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 was given to you and do you still think it was a good idea? Uh, no, I don't. Uh, you know, I initially resisted, uh, but then I did take it. And um, honestly, the, the the reason in the end that I, I didn't want to take them was that I, I understood the addictive side, like the addictive yeah. nature, right? Because I'm also a recovered alcoholic, mm -hmm. uh, to which Luke knows well, but, you know, interesting for today's show and, and the dynamic with what you're currently doing, right, with, with work, which is quite interesting. Mm -hmm. uh, but... I, I just kind of see it for what it is, right? For yeah. in, in, with, with humans, uh, you know, the, we, we kind of want the easiest answer. We want to just be able to trust somebody else or just yeah. kind of go with social proof. Yeah. So, you know, somebody tells you we've developed this new cutting edge science that, you know, helps you do this or that and the other with some fancy language that you'll only understand if you spend, you know, maybe 20 hours researching, then, you know, you're probably just going to trust the science, right? And go with it. But, you know, that's that's just kind of something that I don't want to mess with chemically anymore. Uh, and uh, at, the, at the end of the day too, anything, right? You look at anything big pharma, it, it's all symptom related, right? And you don't solve anything unless you're going source focused. So mm -hmm. as, as long as these things are treating symptoms, you never actually get at the source and no one ever heals. Yeah, absolutely. And I've had kids who, you know, have then had that tag and they cannot move away from it you know you're so much more than your adhd or you're so much more than whatever and in fact i've had a huge ongoing debate my daughter possibly would qualify for adhd and i've never had her diagnosed and i often say to her you have these you know traits but you have to learn to live with them the world is not going to treat you differently when you walk around with 
you know, a T-shirt saying, but I have ADHD. Um, so we'll see how that plays out. So I've done, mm-hmm. I've done it differently with my family, but who knows? You know, you don't know as a parent whether you're doing the right thing or not. You just got to see what happens. What are, the, if I can ask, what are the traits? Like if, if you know, a parent's sitting here today going maybe but really hasn't explored it for, you know, whatever reason, what are the things to? Well, I think typically um, ADHD is is that inability to concentrate. It sounds so simple, but it, it really has an effect on everything from reading to studying to sitting still to not being you know, you, you become a bit, you know, you can only handle chunks of information for a shorter amount of time. And so in a classroom, you, you start acting out or being being the clown in the classroom because you literally cannot hold on to information. So your processing of information, the, the information, for example, that the teacher gives you, they might give you three instructions. Well, well, you've already tapped out at one. And so you you lose a lot of learning. Um, and you know, you need other ways to help you along because you're so quick, your brain is sort of flitting from one thing to the next. You might need someone to take some notes for you. You might, in this day and age, it's easy. You can probably record some of the classroom things or certainly over COVID, it was great to be able to have a Zoom call that you could then look back on. So COVID's actually pretty helpful for uh, lots of learning difficulties. But um, ADHD specifically is that inability to, you know, even focus on a page, just uh, you know, track uh, along um, the words. Uh, and so because we traditionally were le- learn out of textbooks, well, back in my day anyway, now it's a bit better, um, you know, you have to teach someone, <laughs> yeah, you have to teach someone how to, you know, you might learn differently. You might learn from video. You know, people with ADHD are much better at visual learning rather than um, what's on the on the page. Does that answer your question? Or I felt a bit all, all over the place there. Yeah, yeah, I, I just, it's, you know, it's interesting because, you know, depending on the age of your kids, you might have, you know, a young one that that's just part of their natural learning cycle. And then you start to ask, you know, because I think as all parents, you at some stage, another going, is my child's development where it should be? Or are they doing these particular things? So I think it's always great to have expert th- opinion uh, yeah. to prompt to prompt some maybe further thinking. I think if you were looking for triggers, you would hear them from the teacher. Otherwise, mm. it's within normal range because, mm. for example, boys are going to be more sort of um, less concentrate. You know, certainly young kids don't concentrate like girls do. So that's normal then. It's not mm. going to be, oh, I've got an ADHD kid. So it's normally mm. when the, the teachers start going, oh, Luke, we might need to have a chat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. Sean. Yeah, no, but- I am curious to kind of tap a little bit into the relationship with what you're doing now, which is really quite interesting, which is just kind of, uh, I don't know how you would coin the mission statement or, but just kind of making the non-alcoholic beverage market a little bit more sophisticated, right? Mm -hmm. Kind of giving people more options within that space. And uh, I'm really curious what your relationship with alcohol was like, you know, growing up through adolescence into adulthood. How did you perceive it? uh you know in and around family and such because you know with with what you're doing now i'm just curious was it just like a light bulb that went off as you saw an underserved market or was it was there something that was kind of lingering and growing in you over time definitely lingering and growing um so i i would call my alcohol relationship 
fairly typical, but I don't know. So I'll give you my life and you can sort of assess for yourself. But basically, you know, I started drinking literally at the age of 15. As soon as I, you know, was, I don't know, my family, as I say, my family were party animals. Um, they met young, they since divorced, um, and they partied hard. And um, I think they met my mum, my dad met my mum at 16. And um, so I, I was, she was 24 when she had me, so she did give it a bit of time, but but she just, I don't, know, I don't think they ever grew, grew up. And so I um, learned that alcohol was absolutely the, the thing to do. Having said that, I smoked too, uh, and that I gave up 20 years ago. So, you know, it was just um, a great sort of, that was the thing you do. I can't imagine, I couldn't imagine going to anywhere without a drink. And so for me, it was very, very normal. Um, my dad, would have bouts of too much alcohol. So I didn't have a great relationship with my dad. I don't know whether he'd be classified as an alcoholic. I used to call him that, pretty sure. Um, and so alcohol was this double-edged sword. It wasn't always great. Uh, there were many, you know, you talk about Christmas times and things. There were many times where um, the day would start off great and then, you know, there'd be arguments in the family. And I don't know if that's because my family have since divorced and they were never meant for each other or how much alcohol had to do with it. But it was this, you know, great thing and terrible thing all at the same time. And so for me, it's definitely been a bubbling thing. I think because I've always had alcohol in my life and, I, you know, corporately as well. So um, to, to climb the corporate ladder as a female, um, I always found the easiest way to do it was to catch up with the, the boys at, at the bar. Um, so you didn't always make changes uh, by booking an appointment. You would just, I worked for a um, catering company. And so catering is in the food industry industry. And so it's Friday night was pub night and that was part of business. You, you definitely did not miss Friday and you definitely did not miss Christmas parties because Honestly, you wanted to be known by the CEO, that's where you'd be. So I got my first management role at the age of 23 using this strategy um, because I got to know the CEO at the pub. Um, the, 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 can, well, the, um, when I say the pub, it was the office pub. Uh, so I can say uh, alcohol served me very, very well, actually, um, for some time. And uh, then I hit the sort of mummy drinking culture. So you have kids, you lose pretty much your sense of, corporate self. Um, and suddenly alcohol becomes your, you know, I've had a tough day with the kids. I need a break. I deserve this. This is my reward. You know, I just need to tune out a bit. I just need to chill. And you start drinking, you know, you have your wine at five o'clock because now it's, this is, this is a sign to wind down. This is, you know, end of the evening. This is me time. Right. And so there's a massive, um, marketing strategy really that, um, I, for me, plays on the insecurities of parents or certainly mums. And I fell into that. You know, why wouldn't you? You know, why would you have lunch with your friend? Why would you have a coffee with your friends when you could have lunch and a glass of wine? So, you know, there was the pram. There was the glass of wine. Uh, it was all doable. And it's very doable. This is, uh, you know this about alcohol. It's insidious. You can actually manage it for quite some time. Anyway, so, yeah, continue. Then, um I started drinking. I think COVID really um, had a massive effect. I I probably drank now every night. Um, again, would probably be considered okay. Like my husband and I would share a bottle of wine. Nothing wrong with that. Two glasses, one before dinner, one after. But it just felt like it was just constant. It just felt like, you know, I had to have that glass of wine. 
And I really had to sit back and go, why, why am I doing this? So what happened was, as I say, I didn't enjoy telehealth. So I decided to take a break from counseling because I really thought COVID would just blow over. I didn't expect it to last. So I thought, oh, good, great. Six months off, perfect. I'll just kind of focus on me, take a few months off. This is easy. When everything blows off, I can go back to working in session, which is where I prefer to be face-to-face in schools, blah, blah, blah. Of course, this didn't happen. And so I decided, well, since I'm at home and since I'm doing this, let me let me take a health kick. And so I decided to stop the alcohol. Stopped it on August the 25th, so Christmas. Yeah, just decided. And um, that's when my eyes sort of opened. First, I realized, gosh, it's not really that easy to let go of this whole alcohol thing. So first 20, you know, I'd say 45 days over a month. So dry July is not long enough, just FYI. Um, I really struggled. I was like, wow, I'm really hearing that, you know, you really need a glass and you really need to relax. And I, and, I, and it was annoying to me because I'm a bit of a control freak and I was frustrated at this voice that was there. Uh, and I knew I wasn't socializing and that was always my excuse. Well, you're socializing, Kirsten. Well, I wasn't in COVID. So what was that all about? I wasn't stressed because I wasn't at work. So what was that all about? And I certainly didn't have young kids. My kids were now in high school. So really, I had no excuse. Um, and I was still hearing that goddamn voice. Uh, and that's when I decided, no, no, no. Look, I, I think I need to separate. I need to tease out what I miss about alcohol. And what I missed was the social aspect, the camaraderie, the, you know, let's, let's have a, let's toast something, let's celebrate. And so I decided, let me try non-alcoholic wines. And they tasted awful. The, the options that were there, I was just like, no wonder no one is doing this. It's not good. Um, and that's where it started. So I sort of went, no, nah, I need to really get something good. And so being South African, I went back to the South African wineries and um, just asked them for some samples and uh, tasted it and just loved it. And then I suddenly realized half my problem is solved because I could go to my family occasion and bring my bottle and you drank your bottle and I drank my bottle and no one really cared what was in my bottle and I didn't ask what was in theirs. It was just all okay. I didn't have the question of, oh my gosh, why are you not drinking? Are you an alcoholic? No, surely you're not an alcoholic. I mean, that's not, that's not what our family does, right? We don't, we don't do alcoholism, right? And you, I hated those conversations. I, I didn't want to talk about all that stuff. It was really heavy. Um, so yeah, then I went, this is, this is how it should be. We should have the choice. My kids who are now 13 and 15, well, she's turned 16 last week, they need to just not have the, 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 the upbringing I have. They need to be able to make it irrelevant. That's all. That's what I'm trying to do. Awesome. There, there, there is a lot to pull from, from that, uh, that, that, that section there, that little rant. That was awesome. <laughs> uh, there, there's, there's one little note I want to pull back on that uh, if you ever write a book, I think title it something like this. But it was something along the lines of you don't always make changes by booking an appointment. I, I love that. Just kind of that was at the start of kind of how did, you did I even say that. Wow. <laughs> yeah, you did say that. Yeah. Okay. You don't you, you don't always make change or you don't make changes by booking an appointment. It was when you were kind of saying about how you had to, you know, do like look for the third door, right? The extra mm. option. Like just create your own opportunities type of concept. And I I, I love that. But uh yeah, sorry, I feel like I cut you off, Luke, because my question was definitely answered. No, no, so, yeah. It's a nice kind of segue. So you make 
point around, you know, an appointment doesn't make change. You know, you were talking a lot around watching parents. There's this whole nature nurture thing, you know, telling the story to yourself, you know, the excuse, the routine. People are always looking to understand why they do the things that they do. Can you mm. maybe break that down a little bit further? For me or in general? In general, I think, you know, given what you've seen, you know, what you've done mm. from a clinical point of view, I'd love to understand maybe just your thoughts on on why we end up doing these things and then they turn into a routine which is just really hard to get out of. I, I yeah, That's a really good question. You know, I think we fall into a lot of stuff. I think we sort of, we follow. And um, it's not until we stop that we actually realise what we're doing. And I, I think... Most of our lives are pretty busy. We we take what we can in the moment to cope. So, you know, if in the moment the one is there and it makes me feel good, why would I even question that? You know, especially around there's a lot of information about, well, you know, alcohol is fine in moderation. And so you don't, I don't think I ever thought um about the mental or, or health consequences of drinking until I really looked into this last year. So much so, and I'm embarrassed to say, but I would say to my clients after they left, they're like, oh, well, you've done the hard work in session, go have a wine. You know, gosh, what was I thinking? Um, but, you know, it was just kind of, it was, I, I didn't feel like I was saying anything wrong. Now, I would struggle to have a conversation with a client without asking them, so how does what you put in your body affect you? And, I, and by that, I mean food, uh, you know, anything, uh, other substances, but alcohol for sure. Um, and so, yeah, I think we do. We look for the quick fix. We, you know, if we've been told alcohol makes you feel good and yes, for the first 20 minutes it does, why wouldn't you do that? Everyone else is doing it. And then, you know, you look at your kids and you probably don't even know what you're modeling for a while uh, until you stop. Literally, COVID stopped me in my tracks. I was a pretty, you know, I was fine. Like I didn't, I don't know how it happened. It just did. Mm -hmm. it, it, it's funny about that quick fix thing, right? Everybody looking for the quick fix. I mean, it's been, it's been written since long before the days of the Stoics that it, it, it's, you know, good habits and disciplines applied to time will get you the results, but we have like an entire counterculture and popular culture wanting you to believe in the quick fix, you yeah. know, wanting you to believe in the get rich quick, wanting you to believe in the overnight when that's not reality. Yeah. You know, it just isn't. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think alcohol has got a very strong marketing team. And I do think that that is changing. I really do think that in some ways, success is about luck. I've always felt that sometimes I'm just lucky. I just do things intuitively. And maybe I do think it sounds a bit, you know, spiritual, but I do think that I'm sort of in touch sometimes. And so things come to me, I guess I get a feeling for things, but they always come at a time where things are ready, things are ready to make a change. And so I just feel that I'm lucky. I don't feel like I'm the only voice. I think there's lots of voices out there. It started with the sober curious. It started with people who've really struggled with alcohol. And in some ways, I don't even think these drinks are right for someone who is struggling with alcohol. I would actually find them quite triggering. Um, but it's also then brought across the more moderate or heavy drinker. I wouldn't even say moderate, but the heavy drinker like myself who then goes, 
yeah, you don't think you need to hit rock bottom to realize that this is a toxin. <laughs> you don't need to uh, have these massive issues to realize I'm not sleeping well. I wake up exhausted. I'm tired. What is that? Well, maybe I'm introducing a toxin every single day into my life and my poor body has to deal with that before it deals with the rest. Yeah, mm. that's, uh, that's pretty bang on. And uh, it, it's the, the relationship. I mean, it seems so simple, yet so many myths, the relationship of what we put in, right? Yeah. And, and like not just physical, but, but mental as well. Um, mm -hmm. I think maybe uh, it's a good time for a little bit more of the family dynamic in, in the question asking, because, uh, you know, that's a lot of what you've done in the past. Luke, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you ask one of your questions to begin this segment off, if you don't mind. Yeah, that sounds, that sounds like your family is, has been a massive, um, you know, guiding light. And certainly, you know, your two girls have started to shape your thinking in regards to where you wanted to place your, your professional work. So, you know, what would you like to see for their future when you're sitting here today and thinking about them? Well, you know, I've often a, a sort of thought to myself, you know, wouldn't it be good if, you know how you go for a coffee and you don't ask the person whether you're drinking decaf or caffeine, you just have a coffee together? Wouldn't it be good if you could have a glass of wine together and you don't ask the percentage of alcohol in it, the content? I'd love for my girls to be able to rock up at a venue with one of my bottles of wine and no one even asks them what the hell is in it. It's so irrelevant. It, it should be, it's as irrelevant as, you know, what car do you drive? Some people might ask it, some people might care, but ultimately the conversation moves on. The social interaction is about people. It's about what you're talking about. It's about how you're connecting. It's not about, uh, am I drinking 10 glasses? And can I, I remember these days, can I keep up with the boys? Because, you know, I was fiercely independent. So got to drink men under the table. What was I thinking? I'm tiny. I can't do that. Anyway, so yes, I don't want my kids to do any of that. I would love for it to be normal to make beautiful, tasty mocktails, but not, you know, I don't want to go to a restaurant and drink out of a massive, you know, those Coke bottle sort of type glasses and straws. Like that's what I was being handed when I wasn't drinking. I was like, there must be an in-between. So I just want it to be a sophisticated, cool thing to do. Um, and of course, the other side that I'm teaching my kids, hopefully, is the business side. So I've always been in business. And so, you know, they are in the warehouse. They know about um, importing product. They know about um, selling product online. They are my sort of um, social media gurus. So, you know, it's, it's, it's all about I'm trying to make it cool. And for them, because mom's doing it, it is cool, um, which is cool. So my daughter's 16th birthday. You know, she made some non-alcoholic cocktails. And that's that could be controversial. I, I get that that is also controversial. I certainly wouldn't want, uh, we hold our non-alcoholic beverages in our bar. They're not in the kitchen. They're not in the pantry. These are considered alcoholic drinks or uh, sorry, adult drinks. So I'm certainly not trying to use this as a gateway into alcohol. I actually want to use it as this is this, as you grow up, you have the choice of a number of alcoholic beverages, uh, sorry, adult beverages of which yeah. alcohol is just one yeah so it's so it's an alternative but so how much of it you know we can start to see what's happening now in regards to food you know there's this big move well it's not big move but it certainly seems to be a ground swell of uh, non-meat 
plant-based mm. alternatives. So there's that starting to happen, which is then coupled with the impact of highly processed meat and you know that being classed as a carcinogenic and whatnot. Mm. So, but then that's also battling that cultural piece, right? Mm. And I think that's also the challenge that 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 alcohol faces is that it is so ingrained, certainly you know in our culture here in Australia, it is just. It's just like putting your socks on, right? But, yeah, <laughs> but isn't how- it lovely how our kids are? My daughter, you mentioned vegetarian, of course. My daughter, of course, is vegetarian because that's what they do. So, mm. you know, isn't it great that they are questioning all this? You know, we've got Absolutely. we've got young kids st- saying, you know, to big corporates, you're doing it wrong. You know, mm. you 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 not. So in a way, isn't it the perfect timing for them to go, okay, well, I don't, you know, for moral reasons, I don't do meat. And for health reasons, I don't do alcohol. It's almost, it's almost the perfect storm. I think mm. we're really old. I feel really old compared to the generation because I come from that drinking culture, but I honestly feel they question everything. Uh, and they love to question everything. They are really change makers in my mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, there is a change coming on many, many levels. But uh, Sean? Yeah, well, speaking of change, you've had a lot since 2020. Uh, how ingrained is the is the family dynamic in the change process? Like, I'm just, I'm just curious. Like, you were talking about bringing your, your kids on the journey. Uh, like how involved when you're making an important life decision like this, like how, how much do you lean on family? How involved is family in that decision? Oh, look, family is my rock. Um, it's funny because, um, my kids were really disappointed when I decided not to be a psychologist. Like they were fully into that because, um, they loved mum being a psychologist because they were like, well, you know, I've got advice for you. And by the way, my mum's a psychologist, so I know what I'm talking about. They kind of, you know, do that with their friends. Uh, so they were a little disappointed. They're like, mum, you're just stopping. And they were used to me. It's funny what my daughter even said, used to you being a working mum. So they they naturally um, wanted something, you know, me to do something. And so I really enjoyed changing the narrative to we don't need to look at pathology. Um, we need to look at thriving. So my original thesis when I studied psychology was about coping versus thriving. So I did a, a study with four-year-olds and, and their ability to cope. So at what level can we start to already see coping strategies happening in young kids? And so coping is one thing. And, you know, I think a lot of the talk with teenagers that here at the moment is oh my daughter my you know my friend is got depression and my other friends got anxiety and my other friends got that and I was like stop you know we all have emotions this is not depression this is not anxiety you need to settle down and be human because that's all you are you're not a robot you don't get to switch yourself on and off you have to deal with all these annoying things called emotions and so it was all this kind of switch from let me do something healthy and positive let me not always talk about pathology because if you always talk about pathology then you have to do something has to be seriously wrong for you to stop drinking right because if you take it from that perspective if it's always the people in my rooms well they already know that it's a problem <laughs> they, they don't need educating they, that's the wrong audience i don't need to tell alcoholics that alcohol is bad um I figured they figured it out, but the rest of us don't need to go down the path of 
pathology to make massive changes that are positive. Does that answer the question? Sometimes I go off on a tangent, I know. No, I mean, it was covered. It, it, be, it, it began absolutely <laughs> bang on and everything made sense. So yeah, no, okay, don't, cool. <laughs> don't worry about direction. Everything, oh. was, everything, was, all, everything was above board. Right, excellent. But, you know, you were ma- making this um, really interesting part there where, you know, people say, okay, well, I've got stress, I've got anxiety and, and it's just emotions of the reality of the situation. So, and we we're talking about labels at the very, very start and being careful not to label things. So where has that shift come from where everybody seems to want to label themselves as oh, I'm absolutely stressed out, I'm absolutely anxious, you know, mm. why is that such a thing now? Well, I, th- I think psychologists have worked really hard to um, highlight the importance of mental health, highlight the importance of seeing a psychologist, highlight the importance of you know, working on it, like you, if you broke your arm, you you deal with it, right? Uh, but what we haven't been good at is saying, well, um, y- you know, you can transition from one thing to another. You don't have to be depressed for the rest of your life mm. because you had a diagnosis of depression at one point in your life. So I feel like maybe a bit like America, you know, everyone has a psychologist now. Well, that's fantastic. I'd actually prefer them though, to all have coaches, to be perfectly honest, because coaching is great. We all need a coach. We all need, you know, guidance. It doesn't mean something's wrong. So if I did my life over again, I probably would be more in the coaching space because it's about improving who you are, what you're doing. It's so much more positive to me. I mean, there's, there's the positive psychology, um, stream as well and that that's certainly more interesting than what i studied which was you know looking for the deficits looking for the um inabilities and i think uh we you know i just listened to this generation and i think they've become really attuned to that you know is she cutting is she you know they get really serious like conversations i don't expect to hear from a 13 year old or a 15 year old you know, they talk about suicide and this girl is really, you know, can't cope with school. And I look at the things they can't cope with and it blows my mind because these are copable, you know, these are things kids should be capable of doing. You shouldn't be getting depression because life is a bit hard. So mm-hmm. unfortunately, my girls have lived with the, you know, toughen up princess f- philosophy a lot um, because, you know, I want to see a psychologist. Well, my darling, before you see a psychologist, I would like you to exercise every single day. I would like you to watch what you're eating. I would like you to decrease your time on the screen. Then I will pay for a psychologist and not before. <laughs> so I've got, I'm a tough mum. Yeah. So what you're in essence asking is that, you know, you can get into trying to sort some stuff out before you maybe try to pass that on to someone else to to do Correct. it. So because if you think story bit. Yeah, because if you think someone else can do it for you, how does that build confidence? And and mm. and this lovely word resilience, you know, we wonder why our kids have a lack of resilience. Well, we do baby them. That's probably why. You know, if you have a bad day on camp, think about how did you treat those kids? What went wrong? Like we need those experiences to bounce back. If we never go to camp because, oh, my daughter had a terrible time last time at camp. She can't possibly do it this time around. Well, then she's learned that being a victim and defeat is the right way to go. Mm. And and I just can't. I can't accept that. And we can't build a strong generation by letting kids off. 
Yeah, I could not agree more. And then that ends up being the story they cut around them with themselves until they're 35 or 40 and then look back and saying, hey, this, <laughs> I now need to build the positive part to you know, short circuit this thing that happened to me when I was a teenager. But, um, but anyway, you know, thank you for that. That was awesome. Sean, Sean. Yeah, no, that was, uh, that was, that was really informational. That was really insightful. Thank you. And with December coming, I want to talk a little bit more about the, you know, the, the, the holidays and the stress that it brings out in people and, mm. you know, be, being a recovered alcoholic, I've, I've been in lots of rooms and I can tell you that a lot of people's journeys uh, with sobriety start and end in December. So it, it, it's <laughs> yes. a month, uh, it's a month that has a lot of things happen. It's a highly loaded month emotionally, Absolutely. right? Very, mm. very volatile. So, you know, what, what do you think is happens to us humans? Cause we know this about December, right? It's not a secret. And, uh, all, all of these stories, the narrative, it continues to play out. It's a very repeated narrative. Yes. I mean, think about parenting, right? I think that the one time you want to be on your game, right, is when things become emotionally loaded. I mean, if you're the parent in the relationship and that's what your role is, because let's face it, that's what we are as parents. We are the role models. Um, you can't lose your shit when things get hard. And Christmas has that nasty ability to do that. And I think we start off with good intentions. You know, that first glass of wine is nothing but good intentions. Unfortunately, it never ends with that good first glass of wine. And kids then have to deal with you being a child. I just think that you cannot be mindful and mindless at the same time. You know, we talk about mindful parenting. Well, mindful parenting, doesn't that mean being in touch with emotion? Doesn't that mean learning how to respond, not react? Well, if you're introducing a substance that will more quickly allow you to be reactive, you're going to find it really hard to be mindful. So you'd have to be a superstar mindful practitioner to be able to be mindful and drink at the same time. So maybe skip that whole thing. <laughs> Don't try and balance it. Just focus on those emotions that are tricky because I think, um, and especially after COVID, I mean, I think, you know, we all want to let loose and we all want to de-stress, but are we really modeling the right thing by getting smashed? Is that how we de-stress? Like, is that really what we want to look like? at the end of Christmas day, um, because trust me, the kids are watching. They do see that. Yeah. Well, what, what do they say? They don't listen to us. They watch us and then do the same thing. But, you know, while focusing on the joy of being present mindful over Christmas and finding other ways to deal with the pressures of the festive season is a massive part of who you are. So, and you start to talk about it then, but you know, why does that matter so much to you? And, you know, what about the people that they do, they just go, and this has been a shit year and I just want to, you know, drink my bottle of Chardonnay and, you know, have a cognac and, and just let it rip. But, you know, that, that thing you say there about joy and being present and mindful, why does that matter so much? Uh, Luke, you're very good at getting down to the bottom of it. Um, it does go back to my childhood. And as much as my family were the party house, I often felt neglected. I didn't feel, I'm not neglected. Oh my gosh, my parents are going to hear this and they're going to die. Not neglected in any nasty way, but my, you know, I was just 
on the periphery of the scene of my family having fun. And I, you know, I don't, I'm much more inclusive and I don't know if that's just a generational thing now with parents these days, but my kids are so much more important than I felt at the time. Like I, the parties I could have done without if I could have just had more of my parents' time. I felt like sometimes I was, you know, kids should be seen and not heard. That was definitely my thing. I could be part of the party. Like I was never excluded, but I was just there. Like I was just on the sideline. And so for me, um, Christmas was probably more about presents, actually. I'm just trying to think. Um and it often didn't end well for me. And so with my kids, I think one of my major things is to do things differently. And, and my kids cuddle me, you know, they're still, they're still young in so many ways. And, you know, they still want me to put them to bed and they're 16. God, they're going to hate hearing this segment. Um, but, you know, it's just, that's what I, I was, want. I was just going to ask, is, is, do you want that edited out? Or <laughs> no, no, they're going to have to, okay. again, resilience, suck it up. That's your mom's perspective. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, so I, you know, I, I, I love being with my kids. Like Christmas is about hugs and cuddles and how you're going and how, how is this? And um, that being present, you know, you talk about what, what do we do to de-stress? Well, let's, let's play tennis, you know, let's, let's, let's throw a ball. Like, do you actually feel like doing that when you've got five glasses in you? You're just like, oh, I just want to kind of nap in front of the TV, right? You don't want to be out there, but kids are active. They do. They remember those times, you know, you, you've got heaps of opportunity to, so, so we, as a family, we like motorbikes, believe it or not, in my forties with my other epiphany, I decided to learn how to ride a motorbike. And so, you know, my kids have got dirt bikes. So, you know, you cannot be on a dirt bike when you're hammered. It's just not going to end well. So I'd rather have my girls learn how to ramp, you know, on a ramp than, than be too out of it to even set up the ramp or even be functional to be able to do that. And I'm not saying you have to be slammed. I just think it's dangerous even just with one glass of wine. You just, if you want to do things as a family, enjoy each other, you learn to de-stress together. You learn to... Um, yeah, de-stress and alcohol, the, 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 that's, that just doesn't make sense anymore. What about that person that's like, but yeah, I just need that. I just need that loosener. I just mm. need that. I just need that glass to, to socially interact with my family that, that drives me crazy. You know, what about that? Because there's no doubt to build on what Luke is saying, that somebody is saying, but they don't know my family or <laughs> they've not, they've, they've mm. not spent, they've not spent an afternoon with my family. I, we all have this kind of weird belief that our families are a little stranger or a little <laughs> quirkier than another. And it's like, welcome to humanity. But anyhow, yeah, that definitely exists. Okay. Well, first of all, let me say I'm not anti-alcohol. So I would say to those who don't want to give it up completely, I would say, you know, one can actually space it out or moderate, I suppose. But I, 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 I would probably say to them, do yourself a favor, do what I did, just take a year off, see how it changes. Because yes, you're absolutely right. That, that instant, oh my God, I need a glass of wine, mum's arriving. Uh, I still have that. Like there is no doubt that that's the very first thing I want to do. But the problem is 
she annoys me more when I drink more. Like my my tongue gets looser. Like I'll, 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 you know, we just get worse because now I'm going to let her know how annoying she is. Give it, you know, <laughs> two hours and I've lost all sense of, you know, keeping it calm and happy because I've been drinking. So it doesn't end well. Like I understand the initial you know, de-stress function. I completely, honestly, I get that. But I just think if you can just hoop over that, maybe do some meditation, find some other way to just zen out for a minute and know your limits. So there's another thing I learned, right? My limits now socially are maybe two, three hours. (laughs) Then everyone's got to go, or at least I need to go because that's when everyone gets silly and you know I can't watch it anymore I'm, I'm sure as a as a sober person Sean you must know this you just go really you guys find this interesting you are so boring like the depth of conversation leaves the you know anything that I'm getting out of my social interactions when alcohol tips the scale it's no longer there. So then I probably will cuddle with my kids on the couch while they're watching a movie and the adults can be in the other room carrying on. That's fine too. Yeah. I, I, I partook in it for so long, but you know, if you, if you pay very close attention to, you know, successful and non-successful people that plateau and a lot of different things, you, you see a lot of people that are out for some of these business events and partaking, right. And, and doing a little bit of drinking, but you know, once that business is done, like they disappear. Right. Mm-hmm. And then certain people kind of carry on and, and, and get smashed. Right. So there's a lot of people that kind of understand this from, yeah. uh, you know, a young age and a very large majority that don't. And, uh, you know, it, it, being able to sit back and look at it now, especially having worked in hospitality, still doing some work in hospitality, it, it, it's man, this time of year, it's like when you're on the sales side of it, it's, mm-hmm. it's, you know, like hope these, these corporations book uh you know at this level and buy this amount of wine like my goodness does the tab rack up quickly and that's another part of the mentality heading into the holidays right if you want to loop that concept back in is that how many people are aware that the corporate spend is out and uh you know you get to drink like it's a christmas party you know and uh a lot of people do drink like it's a christmas party many times and maybe that's a good point maybe if you're gonna drink do it like you know luke you were asking what about the guy that just wants to you know let it hang out just like a boys weekend take yourself off somewhere you know maybe not make it a family thing <laughs> like we all need our time if you want to stare at a mountain if you want to get smashed on a mountain that's your choice <laughs> but maybe just do it on your own time maybe that's my advice yeah i think that's a nice way to kind of, yeah i think that's a great way to wrap it up because at the end of the day it's you know you the choice is, you know, do what you like, but be aware of the consequence that sits at the end. Correct. And if and if the consequence for you specifically is that you're a screaming heap passed out on the couch and the kids are like, what's mommy or daddy doing? Then it's time to make a different one. But, mm-hmm. um, but, but Sean, I know you've got another one. Well, no, just, I mean, just to kind of, uh, Get, uh, well, actually, I do want to ask you something. We have a quote here that I want to kind of, what does this quote mean uh, mm. You know, to you? When Luke and I kind of chat, we always like to bring in quotes from people that have made an impact or this just lingered in our minds. So the one that I have for you is there comes a point where we need to stop just pulling people out of the river. We need to go upstream and find out why they're falling in. Desmond Tutu. And uh, it's a pretty good way to sum up a lot of what's been talked about today. But uh, I'd love to hear your elaboration on this one. 
Well, yeah, I think as a psychologist, you are rescuing people. You're spending a lot of time pulling people out the water and you spend a lot of time asking them, how did they land up there? You know, and and you put a lot of effort into it. It's a lot of hard work. And there's some well-meaning people doing all that work. But, you know, just I love Desmond Tutu, South African, so there's that. Um, But, you know, you just kind of go, stop. You know, we spending all this energy here at the bottom end of the river maybe we just go upstream check it out what's going on up there that's causing this to happen isn't that you know more productive isn't that going to make bigger changes if we just don't wait for people to land in the puddle yeah so you know i just think it really resonates with me um about the message that I don't want to talk to alcoholics um, because they know they, 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 they're drowning, they're in the water. I want to talk to those people parting upstream and sort of see whether there's different ways we can party. Yeah. In so many ways that applies that, that quote, it can go to so many areas of life. Absolutely. I'd never seen it before. So really grateful that that's the one you brought with you. So, Thank you. so um, Luke, sorry. We've spoken about so much today as we start to kind of you know get towards wrapping up, but I'd love for you to really get into you know a big part of what's happening with you now and Point Zero Sellers. Like, talk to us about a bit about the ambitions and you know what makes it special. Why people should find you on social media and check it out. Like, use this as an opportunity <laughs> to do a shameless plug if you like. But, <laughs> but we've covered so much. Certainly, you know, you've given us some beautiful insight in regards to family and why you do the things you do. But I'd love to hear a bit more about, you know, what's lighting you up at the moment in that workspace. Um. So yeah, I, I guess the the um, point zero sellers um, is just. I just want to be part of this groundswell that I think will be happening. Um, I think, you know, um, alcohol is a billion-dollar business uh, and of which I think non-alcoholics are like 1%. Uh, I really want to see that change. And so I'm not talking about the sober person trying to go online and, um you know, find a non-alcoholic version. I'm speaking to the Dan Murphys of the world. I'm speaking to the restaurants of the world, the cafes, everywhere. I just want it to be as mainstream as a as, as an alcoholic beverage. So, you know, it's funny, you know, the people that don't drink because they can't or the people that don't drink for religious reasons, this is no longer my audience. Um, my audience is the... You know, this is just a great thing to do. Remember when bottled water was a non-thing? Okay, so cast your mind back to that. My plan is that non-alcoholics will be as strong as at least bottled water. And how we all went, are you crazy? Why would I buy a bottled water? Like I can get it out of the tap. Why would I spend money on that? This is the narrative that I want to see happen. So I'm bursting with excitement. I just, it's it's less heavy than psychology, but I still feel like I'm bringing good to the world. Um, and yeah, the platform is to talk to people upstream about doing things differently. And so, you know, it's as mainstream as, as I say, coffee and decaf, you know, what are you ordering today? Oh, I'll have a decaf. Great. No one raises an eyebrow. No one thinks you're an alcoholic. No one asks, you know, you just get on with your, with your experience. And you know, we love to socialize. Let's just do it. Let's continue to do it. Let's just do it a little differently. That's all. 
Yeah, I love it. I love it. I, my mind goes in so many. Do I used to work in the liquor industry years ago? I worked for Mold Hennessy, and I was, I'm just picturing all of those wine lists around town that should have a non-alcoholic version, you know, listed yeah. there by the glass for that that person that's sitting down. And yeah, actually, I can show you. So, I mean, yeah. you won't see this on podcast, but you know, I've just got a demo of you know right. just. Have this. It's like an A5. You can just add it to your menu. Not that hard to do, right? And people will love you for it. People will thank you. Yeah. Yeah. The, <laughs> there's that. It's the people who are just, just can't get past that stigma. We touched a little bit on it on the show, but like giving that person the option that by default, pressure alone doesn't want the conversation as to, hey, why is this guy not having a beverage or have to get asked specifically? So, you know, like it's just giving somebody. There are a lot of people that would take a sigh of relief, right? Just yes. be grateful if these things were options that yes. aren't going to speak up otherwise and are going to consume, uh, you know, more than they would like to or intend to otherwise. Imagine if you could just turn to your waiter and just go, oh, "I'll have an absolute zero, thanks," and no one kind of goes, oh, "You're not drinking," uh, you know. It's just kind of natural. It's like, "Yep, that's what I'll have." Uh, I can't wait for that day, and I really think it'll happen. And I think. I think the the key to anyone in the beverage industry is this is not a cheap option. I am not suggesting that they lose revenue. I am actually saying that if you put me with a bunch of people, I will probably order a whole bottle of non-alcoholic, whereas in the past I would have sat on my Sprite the whole night. Um, so, and you can, you know, charge out that bottle at the same cost as you would charge out a wine. I know it sounds crazy, but again, bear with me. Think of the water, you know, concept. People will pay for non-alcoholics if that's what they want, um, because they're making a health choice. They're not making a, I need to get smashed choice. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's start to bring this one in and, and start to close this one out. Sean, hmm. uh, what have you, what have you got left? Uh, just, just the way we close it all uh, out normally, um, being a conversation, I know, conversation for better tomorrow. What, what in your mind needs to be on people's minds? What, what is the conversation that we need to be having to create a better tomorrow? We all here have kids. What, uh, what kind of a world do they need, and what conversation needs to be had? Choice, choice, choice. Do give, give people choice, and um, you know educate your kids, model what you'd want them to see. Um, you know, it, you know, if we want to make a better tomorrow, we've got to make those changes ourselves. I think we've got to be the ones putting ourselves out there. I'm, I'm you know, putting my, my money behind this. I'm importing product because I want this to happen. I'm not suggesting someone else should do it for me. I'm saying I will, I will put my money where my mouth is. And as adults, um, that's what we should be doing. If we want a better tomorrow, whatever you believe in, I don't, you know, this happens to be my thing, but whatever we believe in, put your heart and soul into it and give it to the world because that's passion and that's what we need in this world. We need people that will go, hell, this is important to me. And so I'm going to make it important to you. I love it. Absolutely. Fantastic. Beautiful way to close it out. Anybody that's sitting out there with an idea, a burning passion. Absolutely. Get off your butt and <laughs> do it. And make, make that happen. But uh, thank you so much, Kirsten. Thank you, everybody, for listening. If you like it, subscribe, share, tell everybody about it. We'll see you uh, in a couple of weeks or maybe next week for episode 17, which is How to Stress Less 
mm. in 2022 and maybe holding a non-alcoholic <laughs> glass of wine while you're stressing less in 2022. <laughs> but, you know, thank you so much. Good to see you both, everybody. Thanks, guys. Be safe, be present, be you, Sean. And be yourself. Always yes. be yourself. Mm. Excellent. Beautiful. Thanks, All guys. Right. Much appreciated being here. Thank you so much. Bye it was for a blast. Now. Thank you.